Thank you for joining us for this recent message from Freedom Ministries in Crossit, Arkansas. Connect with us online at freedomministriescrossit.com and let us know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Now prepare your heart to hear a word that we pray will bless your life. Good morning. Hallelujah. What an awesome day today. <laughs> it's good to be back across at Arkansas at Freedom Ministries in the presence of the Lord with you. We, uh, I love coming here. Wish I could have brought my revival team with me. Most of the people that flow with me and, and run with me in ministry are working in the greater New Orleans area uh, today and working Mardi Gras and on the streets witnessing and winning souls to Jesus. So we let them do that. That's a good thing. But I'm glad to be here with you. Last time I saw you pastors, uh, they slipped down to central Louisiana. We were doing a little something called an uprising. And I don't know if she came home and told you about it or not. Uh, Pastor Angie and Brother Tim told you all about it or not. But since I was here last, we launched a ministry called Warrior Path. And if you go to Facebook, Warrior Path, Facebook site, it'll tell you all about it. We're doing uprisings, which are young adult conferences, but they're intergenerational. Here's what's unique about it. We're connecting the generations. And because of that, we're seeing great fruit in the spirit. We've already held a conference starting in last August. We launched it. We held one in central Mississippi, uh, in our south central in the Hattiesburg area. We held one near Tampa, Florida. We came back and held one in Louisiana. Well attended. The power of God was moving. And I, I don't know what to say to you. God's just doing something amazing in the Holy Spirit. Amazing drama, great preaching and teaching. And we will have like a seasoned uh, young adult teacher or young pastor preaching along with somebody like we did this past time, 21 years old, right out of the Ramp School of Ministry, hadn't even finished school yet, never even spoke in a conference. We had a 21-year-old girl spoke in the last session, and she tore the house down. And we had kids that got saved, and they walked up to me afterwards and said, I've been in church all my life and never given my heart to the Lord. But because you put a 21-year-old up there, I saw myself, and I saw my own future, and it just blew up in them. So God's up to something amazing. Uh, glory to God. We're also doing leadership conferences that we call SEER, S-E-R-E. And if you're familiar with that acronym, in the military, our special operatives all have to go through SEER school. It's survival training. So we're doing survival training, and I, I think in the military it represents um, to survive, to uh, evade, uh, I think uh, to escape, and I don't remember what the other one is, but all these things are about living and surviving on the battlefield and getting home safe and accomplishing your mission. So we're doing special leadership training, and we're watching God do something amazing. I don't know if you know this or not, but the devil's after leaders. He's after the future leaders. He's trying to pull them down. We need to pray for one another like never before. Do you believe God's going to do something here today? Uh, guys, if y'all want to sit down, I don't need you, unless you just like sitting up here. You, you, you're good? Why don't y'all go sit down? You're good. You make me nervous behind me. <laughs> they might just break randomly into a song or something. That's okay, though. Is, is this my water, Casey? You didn't drink out of it, did you? I'm not going to get too 
Open your Bibles to the book of uh, Jeremiah, chapter 35. And I'm going to reference a couple of scriptures out of the book of Psalms. I have a very unusual message to share with you. I always pray toward the end of the year about what I'm going to speak in the coming year. And God's been giving me a lot of words. This is one of the things that God laid on my heart. He's been speaking a lot to me lately about the Zadok priesthood. And I'm not going to preach on that this morning, but I'm going to preach on something else God told me to speak on. And we, I spoke on this in Baton Rouge last Sunday. We saw a guy get instantaneously healed. Nobody laid hands on him. I'm telling you, the power of God is in this. The title of this message is Vows of Power. Your vows that release the power of God on your behalf. see. Mm. Let me ask you a question. Church, are you ready to go to the next level in God? You hear people say that. Have you ever wondered what hinders us from going to the next level? Here in this congregation this morning are people who have made promises to God that you did not keep. Maybe there was a prophecy spoken over you. Maybe you heard a sermon and you responded to it. And you got up and you made a promise to God. Or you made a holy vow to God. Some of you have kept those promises and some of you have failed in that area. Because of that failure, Satan has heaped condemnation on your head. He's told you that you're never going to be what God called you to be. The devil has told you, the accuser of the brethren has told you, look there, you failed God. You're never going to be able to have that. You're never going to be able to do that. You're just a big dreamer. Can I tell you something? God loves big dreamers. And this morning, God's going to roll the shame and the condemnation off of you. You're going to make a promise to God that you will keep. Come on, somebody. This is going to go deep. I'm not going to mess with you and play with you this morning. This is going to go deep. It's going to cut deep. Because there are things that have been hindering us from doing the great things for God and doing exploits in his name. But the shackles are coming off of you this morning. I need somebody to back me up in prayer when I'm preaching this this morning. The devil does not like this message. It sets people free. And because of that, they walk in the fullness of the spirit that our sister was teaching about this morning. I love that teaching out of Isaiah chapter 11. Hallelujah, the sevenfold anointing of Christ. Glory to God. She was teaching on the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I, I tell you what, the glory of God was all over this place in Sunday school this morning. Hallelujah. And this, of all those seven, the spirit of the fear of the Lord is the key one. That releases knowledge, it releases understanding, it releases counsel, it releases might. That's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You can have it. I'm just going to preach your teaching a little bit this morning. That was good. Let me start out by reading two passages of Scripture from the book of Psalm. Then we're going to go to Jeremiah chapter 35. I'm going to give you these two verses and we're going to pray. I'm going to give you one then we're going to pray and I'm going to read you the second one. Psalm 61 verse 5. David is speaking, and he says this, For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those, are you ready for this, who fear your name. There you go, sis. <laughs> Father, I thank you so much for your presence that's already here. God, I thank you, Lord, for the anointed worship. Father God, I thank you for your people that are hungry to hear from you. Lord God, I thank you, Lord, for these anointed young people that minister this morning. God, bless this house. 
I, I declare, Lord, there is no limit, Lord, for your people. There is no limit on them. This place is limitless. Hallelujah. And this place does have freedom. Uh, hallelujah. And they will, Father, realize uh, every dream that they have for you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. And the church said what? Amen. Let me give you another verse of Scripture that David wrote. Psalm 56, verse 12. He said, your vows, say vow. Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render my praise unto you. The word render here is the word in the Hebrew, kartageo. It means this, to refine or intensify down to a point, to boil away until there's only the essence left. So here's what David said. Your vows are binding upon me, Lord. I feel them. There's something being rendered here. He felt the full weight of what he had promised God. And your vows should be weighty. The things that you promised God that you will do, especially when God lays something on your heart. And how many of you have heard a call from God about something you're supposed to do for him? Uh, you're a little less willing to raise your hand after I said what I said earlier, aren't you? And the rest of you are going to have to repent for lying because many of you, come on, Many of you have heard from God. God's told you to go witness to your neighbor. God's told you to be bold in the workplace. God's told you to blow up your family reunion this year. He's called you to sing, preach, teach, prophesy. He said, Lord, your vows are binding on me. I will render my... Well, here's what he's saying. I'm ha it's tough for me to praise you. I'm pressing through right now. I feel the full weight of this. I feel the full weight of what I promised you. Now go, to me, go with me to Jeremiah, chapter 35. I'm going to tell you a very, very strange story. While you're turning there, the word vow, let me give you the Webster's Dictionary definition of it. A solemn promise, an oath or a pledge made to something or someone, especially a deity. Companion words to this are commitment or covenant. In the Hebrew, the word is neder or nedar to promise to serve, a promised offering or a gift, in other words, yourself as the offering, yourself as the gift, or to consecrate unto or to dedicate. Consecrate is going to be a key word for us this morning. This is a sermon about consecration. I said this is a next-level sermon. If there's something that's been holding you back, it can shift and change this morning. Some of you, you made a promise to God and you started well, but some disappointments came, some failures came. You stepped back a little bit in ministry. It's broke off in you a little bit, and you're a little bit bitter. You're a little bit disillusioned. God wants to give you your mojo back this morning. I don't know, that's not a very spiritual word, but he's going to give you your mojo back. It's spiritual this morning. Smile at me. Let me know you, Jesus loves you, okay? <laughs> Something very strange was happening here in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 35. He'd been preaching to the remnant of God, and you'll find later on in these chapters, the remnant, I mean those that have been left over from Babylonian captivity, and can I say to you there's a remnant within the remnant. If today's remnant is the Spirit-filled people, in the, even in the Spirit-filled churches, and there's a lot of so-called Holy Ghost churches, there's Holy Ghost denominations, there's independent charismatic churches, but even within the Holy Spirit people, there is a group who are really going after God. Even in the Holy Spirit churches, we got churches that are kind of dead. 
Y'all celebrate the Holy Ghost here. People pray in tongues here. You, you could go into a lot of so-called spirit-filled churches, never hear anybody pray in the spirit. As a matter of fact, it's almost frowned on. I'm going, why do you want to even call yourself a Holy Ghost church if you're ashamed of the Holy Spirit? You guys worship out loud. Y'all pray out loud. Y'all talk in tongues out loud. I mean, so there's a remnant within the remnant. So the remnant had come to Jeremiah, and they said, give us a word. People are being taken into Babylonian captivity. Give us a word. <laughs> Try to say that fast three times. Give us a word. He said, here's the word. You're going into Babylonian captivity. <laughs> but if you trust God, like Daniel, like the Hebrew children, God's going to bring you through it. You'll have a testimony, and you'll come out, and you'll get your land back. You'll get your stuff back. They said, we don't like what you said. We're going to go back to Egypt. Like they didn't learn anything back during the Exodus, we're going to go back to Egypt. Because of that, they were destroyed utterly and cut off, and there was only left a remnant within the remnant. So God decides to say something to Israel here. But this is what he used to do it. Look at this, Jeremiah 35, verse 1. It's a strange little story about a certain tribe. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites and speak to them and bring them into the house of the Lord into one of the chambers and give them wine to drink. Keep reading with me. Then I took Jasoniah, the son of Jeremiah, son of Habazaniah, and his brothers and all his sons and the whole house of the Rechabites. I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chambers of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, the man of God, which was near the chamber of the officials, which was above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. And I set before the men of the house of the Rechabites pitchers full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. Now, what is strange about this story. Here's what's going on. The Rechabite tribe were not even of the Israelites. If you don't know who they were, they were the kinfolk of Zipporah, the wife of Moses. They were of the Kenite tribe. They were actually a pagan tribe that aligned themselves with Israel. They weren't one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were a group that said, we're going to serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're going to serve him out loud. Because of that, Jonadab, their leader, Rechab, their father, and Jonadab, their leader, said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're not going to drink wine. We decided we're not going to drink wine. And we're not going to be a part of our pagan tribes that we came out of. We're going to live in tents. We're going to be nomads. We're not going to own land. We're not going to own vineyards. By the way, God doesn't have a problem with you having stuff. He just don't want you to worship your stuff. Don't worship your three-bedroom house. Don't worship your... Your, your two-car garage, don't worship the fiberglass thing that you go out on weekends in. Come on, somebody. Whether it be on the water or through the woods. <laughs> don't worship your job. Don't worship your 2.5 children. That's what the statistically say we all have 2. Point. I, where do you put that half a kid? That's what I want to know. Two, how do you divide that? That's kind of like Solomon thing. And <laughs> don't do that. So they didn't do that. They decided we're not going to do that. We're going to be set apart unto God. And because of that, the things of this world will not color us or touch us in any way and won't affect us. This is what God told us to do, and this is how we're going to live it. So here's what happens. The holiest dude in all of Israel brings you into the holiest house in all of Israel, into one of the holiest rooms, the place where the priests prepare before they go into the Lord. 
and tempts you with the very thing that you promised God you wouldn't do. Now, the kind of man Jonadab was, if you don't know the story, whenever Jehu and Elisha received that commission from Elijah to take down Jezebel and Ahab, Jehu went and got, he didn't get one of the leaders of Israel, he went and got Jonadab to witness what happened to Jezebel. Read it in the scriptures. That's how trusted and how honorable this man Jonadab was. So now these kids of Jonadab, of his, of his family, of his tribe, are brought in by Jeremiah, the holy man of God, and wine is set before them. Can I just stop right here and say this to you? We have spiritual leaders who are actually tempting people to sin and fall today. That's not what Jeremiah was doing here, but can I say to you, there are a lot of people who are buying into a a licentious lifestyle and living a lifestyle that is mixed and that is is colored with the things of this world. Are y'all hearing me? And people are telling them, it's okay, it's okay if you do that, we'll just throw a little grace on, on top of it. Okay, you don't want to get me started on that. I believe in the grace of God. I've received much mercy and much grace. Uh, Don't use grace as a calling card to do anything you want to get away with. That's not what it was about. Grace will help you overcome sin. Then grace will edify you and strengthen you and keep you from sinning again. But grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Wow, it got quiet in here. Are we okay? Okay. Oh, I wish those people hadn't stayed in New Orleans. I wish they'd come with me. Okay. Uh, so he brought them into the house. He sets wine in front of them and says, drink wine. But they said, I love this, we will not drink wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall not drink wine. You are your sons forever. You shall not build a house. You shall not sow seed. You'll not plant a vineyard or own one, but in tents you shall dwell all your days. You may live many days in the land where you sojourn. And we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he commanded us not to drink wine all of our days. We, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, not to build houses to dwell in. And we don't have a vineyard or a field or seed. And they said, so no thank you, Mr. Prophet. (laughs) We won't drink wine. Here's what they were actually saying. We will not be swayed by anybody else's opinion or lifestyle. We refuse to break our promise to God. We won't be influenced by the culture or by what's popular in theology. We're going to keep our vows to God. We're not going to break our vow. It's worked so far. We're going to stand by what we have known and the promises that we have made. And here was God's answer. I love this. I'm fixing to read it to you in 18 and 19, verse 18 and verse 19. But first look this way. In the middle of that, and read the rest of the chapter so you can get the full fullness of this, Jeremiah turns to the rest of Israel and he says, check this out. Israel, you have broken your vow to God. Israel, you have broken your promises to God. Israel, you have not served God, but they refuse to break their vow. These are people who weren't even born as an Israelite, who came in and worshipped the Lord their God. They came out of a carnal bunch who was a bunch of pagans, and they're serving God better than you're serving God, Israel. 
They didn't break their promise, but you broke your promise. And then God flips back and he speaks to Jeremiah the prophet because he wasn't really tempting them to sin. He was testing them before God to make an example for the rest of Israel. Are you with me so far? Then it says in verse 18, Then Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the command of Jonadab your father, kept all his commands, and done according to all that he commanded you, therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab the son of Rechab shall not lack a man to stand before me always. What does that mean? You're going to have unprecedented favor and access. You'll never lack somebody in your family to stand before me. Your house will be blessed. Your house will have favor. I will watch out for you. I will provide for you because you did not compromise. Holiness is not an option on your car. Well, I just got the standard features. I didn't get the holiness option. I just have a standard. I don't, I don't have, yeah, and you didn't get the power steering either, did you? And where you're going, you're going to wish you had the air conditioner. There's a law of the vow of God. It's a big thing to God. Don't say it if you don't mean it. In God's economy, don't promise if you don't mean it. Don't break a covenant. I just got through having lunch last week with one of the original founders of Promise Keepers. His name is Colonel Chuck Stecker. He was one of the original seven who founded Promise Keepers and worked with it for a period of about 10 years. If you don't know who Colonel Stecker is, Colonel Stecker is one of the most decorated special ops commanders that our nation has ever had. Probably most of the stuff that he ever did for our nation has been redacted, so you probably couldn't research a lot of it. But you, you can't get up to general in special forces. You can only rise to the, to the rank of colonel. He is a colonel, and I think most of his friends you probably see on the news talking about terrorism. But I got to eat lunch with him and talk to him. And I've got to visit with him on more than one occasion. But I got to attend Promise Keepers events when it was happening. How many of y'all know what Promise Keepers was? There was a period of about 10 years where it was spreading all over the world. It was across racial lines. It was across denominational lines. You had Baptists, Methodists, even Roman Catholic, spirit-filled people. And men were going to these big arenas and even filling up stadiums. Uh, and men were getting set free from pornography. And the power of God was saving them. They were going back to their wives. Uh, and they were learning how to be a promise keeper to their families, uh, a promise keeper to their spouse, uh, a promise keeper in their church, uh, a promise keeper to their God. Uh, but can I say to you, after about 10 years that waned and, and the events begin to slow down, we are living in a generation right now where it's more like covenant breakers uh, and promise breakers uh, than it is promise keepers. Uh, are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, that has invaded our culture uh, and we're, we're politicians lie. We can't find one, don't matter what side of the aisle they're on. Republican, Democrat, or Independent, they all lie. They might start out saying something that was true, but by the time they get in there and get corrupted, they're all lying. So if you're depending on a politician to save you, you're in trouble. Come on, somebody. Jesus is the one that's going to save you. 
A.W. Tozer once wrote, I read this and it just blew me away. He was writing about holiness. And he said, he goes, all of our leaders in our culture lie. He said, because of that, we don't know how to depend on anybody. We can't trust anybody. And so because of that, we have promise breaking all the way down the line. And we've lost the effectiveness of holiness on our life when it comes to speaking the truth in love. Wow. Y'all going to help me out here, right? Look, we're going to slug this out this morning, all right? Come on. I'm working out now. I don't know if you can tell, I've lost a few pounds since I was here last. i got a few more to lose. And I'll tell you something, I'm about to turn 60 years old. Here's the difference about lifting weights when you're in your 20s and lifting weights when you're about to shift over to your 60s. I now sound like a bowl of Rice Krispies whenever I go work out. But I have more endurance, so I'm gonna preach you. I'm gonna preach you either happy or out of the door, one way or the other. We we gonna do something. We gonna get somewhere. Whoo, Jesus! Go to Genesis chapter 28 with me. Genesis 28. Jacob makes a promise to God. He makes a vow. We're gonna be talking about making vows. In Genesis 28, I thought I had it marked. Verse 20 through verse 22. Jacob is on the road home, and he stops, and he makes a promise to God, Genesis 28. He's had that dream. God has appeared to him. He's made an altar, built an altar to God. And it says in verse, uh, let me just back it up to verse 18. So Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put under his head. He set it up as a pillar, poured oil on its top. He called the name of that place Bethel, uh, or Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Jacob made a vow, said he made a vow. If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. He promised even to give his tithes to the Lord. He made a vow to the Lord. Guess what happened in Jacob's life? God gave him a new direction. He gave him a new destiny and he gave him a new identity. And he gave him a new name. Hallelujah, somebody. The psalmist made a vow to God. Here's David and Asaph giving a couple of, of things. Psalm 50, verse 14, and I'm going to re- read that and then jump to Psalm 146. I'm just going to pull these out for you. Psalm 50, verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Pay your vows to the Most High. Now, not every vow contained the word vow. As a matter of fact, when someone in the Scripture said to God, I will or I shall, that was a promise to God. Are y'all with me so far? I'm going to prove that in just a minute. Psalm 146, verse 2. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. See, it's an act of your will. I'm breaking it down for you. Go with me to Psalm 101. Let me show you how powerful this is. See, the words I will and I shall are legal terms. Everybody look this way. How many of you ever bought a car? Okay. How many of you ever bought a house? Did you read the fine print? (laughs) Whoa, at least you're honest. You know all those little places where they told you to initial? It said I will. I shall. I, if, if you don't think there's going to be conviction in this place, uh, all, all we got to admit is how many of us did not. I didn't repent it. I can smile at you and say this because I did the same thing. You, 
We signed it. We didn't read the fine print. But you put in, in legalese. You wrote, I will and I shall. It was a contract. You signed your name to it. It's throughout our culture. You get before the judge. You're about to testify. I raise my hand and I do solemnly swear. Oh, come on, somebody. You're going to be a police officer. You're going to protect your community. I swear to protect the citizens of this city or of this county or of this parish, depending if you're from Louisiana or Arkansas. Come on, somebody. I, you go to war. I, I swear to up, up, keep up the Constitution of the United States and to protect us uh, from all, all invaders, foreign and domestic. Come on, somebody. You made a promise that you were going to fight for your nation and you were going to protect freedom at all costs. Come on, somebody. I will and I shall is all through our culture. If we don't know how to keep promises that we make, everything falls apart. You made a covenant with your spouse. Now, I know you don't even want me to go there, right? My wife passed away two years ago. We were married for 36 years. The last six years were pure hell for her, for me, and for our kids. She went through sickness and disease. You know, we, we, we know y'all went through that with Sister Pinson. And I, I just loved you talking about her and referencing her. I could just hear her saying that. What a precious lady. We go through suffering in this life. Can I say to you that I stood by my wife through that? I'm not special. I'm not amazing. I just made a promise to her. And when I used to travel all over the United States and preach, and, she would, and she'd walk up to me even after she got blind, and she would find me, and she was blind the last year and a half. She would find my face, and she called me Polly. Nobody else could call me Polly. I'll crush you. <laughs> you know? If nothing else, if I can catch you, I'll fall on you. That you'll be done. Finissimo. And she would say, Paulie, I, I, I love you. I said, I love you too, baby. She said, and I trust you. Do you know what? She never had to worry about me sleeping around. She never had to worry about me breaking that covenant. I didn't want to break that trust. I didn't want to break that covenant that I made with my wife. So I could, st I could stand up here before the living God and tell you I never broke my vows to my wife. Hallelujah. It was a promise that I made. You have a covenant with the living God. You made a vow to God that you would serve him. Psalm 101, look at this, verse 1 through 4. Are y'all getting anything out of this this morning? I am. I'm having fun. I will sing of loving kindness and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. How many of you know that praising is an act of your will? Have you ever had to praise God when you didn't feel like it? Does he, is he still worthy of praise? I will give heed to the blameless way. When will you come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. When nobody's watching, when I'm in my house, I, I will walk in integrity. I'm trying to look at everybody. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I'm trying to get, get your eyes. Some of you have found fascinating the, 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 you know, the back of your hand or the ceiling tiles, or there ain't no tiles in here. You're looking at that little blown stuff on the ceiling. I mean, it must be fascinating because you don't want to look at me right now. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless, oh my God. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not 
There it is. It, it will. It shall. It shall not fasten its grip upon me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. When you say I will or I shall, in the Old English, will was from the uh, Old English word willing. It meant I wish to, I'm willing to, I be about to. That literally is, is what it meant. It means I have intentions to do the right thing. One was an intent. The other one was shulam. That's where shall came from, the root word. I be obliged to. It's a little bit stronger. One is, one is second or third person. One is first person. Uh, I'm obliged to. I have to. I must do this or I'm destined to do this. So God wants me to ask you a question this morning. Will you? Shall you? Will you keep your promises to God? Church, will you do what you told God that you would do? You promised to take up your cross and follow after him. Will you? You promised to keep his commandments. Will you? You promised to feed his lambs. Will you do that? You promised to be separated unto him. You promised to be betrothed to him. You made a covenant. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. You gave your word. Psalms 119, I'm pulling verses out of Psalms here. Psalm 119, 106, I have sworn it and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I know some of y'all are ready for me to move on from this, but I'm not. Psalm 116, verse 14, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of his people. Now, I'm going to address something here because we talked about condemnation. We talked about shame. The devil loves to heap that on our heads. Aren't you glad that God knows how to forgive us? Aren't you glad that his grace is sufficient? It really is. And here's where grace really does come in. God doesn't want you to make rash vows. Now, there are some people who are teaching that we should never make a promise, we should never make a vow. The scripture that they're using is taken out of context, and I'm fixing to show you why. James is quoting from something that Jesus spoke over in Matthew, and I'm going to give you both. James in verse chapter 5, verse 12, James said this, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. That's where people are taking that from. He's actually referencing Jesus. Here's what Jesus said. You also got to look in the context of what he said, why he said it, where he was, when he said it, and you got to look at the verses around it. But I'm going to tell you what Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 33. And here's what was going on. He's speaking to the Pharisees <laughs> as well as the children of Israel who were gathered around him, the people in Jerusalem who were gathered around him. And he's speaking to them, and, he, <laughs> and uh, you got to understand, the Pharisees would stand up in front of people, I make a holy vow to God. And they're wearing their phylacteries and they're wearing all this stuff and there's a, because they wanted to sound like they were all that in a bag of chips. And so they would say it nice and loud where everybody can hear. Now, I know you've never been in a place where there maybe, let me give you something that's, uh, well, let me give you what Jesus said. Then I'll give you an example of how we do that today, okay? Jesus said it like this, don't make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord, Matthew 5, 33, okay? Everybody look this way. Uh, some of you are young, so maybe you've never been on this. All of you older, uh, not necessarily wiser heads, just because we're older don't mean we're wiser, but maybe you've seen some of this. Uh, we're going to have, a, okay, we're going to take up, a, have a fundraiser, and we're going to take pledges to build the new church fellowship hall. Well, I, I pledged $500, Pastor. 
Somebody stands up in the pew right over there. Oh, you're already ahead of me. Great. I pledge $750. Well, I pledge $1,000. They're all lying. <laughs> or they will be proven to be so. I'm sorry, y'all want me to stop and start preaching again? So we, we, we don't do that today, right? We don't act like we're, and we make, we make promises to God, and pe people will come up, missionary pledges. What would happen if in the church today we begin to have some Ananias and Sapphira happenings? Oh, yeah, we're going to build a new church. <laughs> Go ahead and drag her out, drag him out. Foot first, you know. So here's what the Lord is saying. He's not saying don't promise. He's not saying don't make a vow. He's not saying don't make a covenant with me. He's just saying keep your vow. If you don't mean it, don't say it. And if you've broken your vow, ask God to forgive you, and God who will... He's able to cleanse you from every sin and all iniquity and unrighteousness. Uh, the devil has beat some of y'all over the head. Everybody look this way. Some of you have had broken marriages. You've had broken covenants. Uh, get it under the blood right now and forgive and release anybody who's ever wounded you or hurt you, no matter who they are. Children, forgive your parents that have screwed up because they're just people. And guess what? If you get a little older, you'll screw up a little bit more too. Go ahead and forgive your parents. Uh, husbands, forgive your wives. Wives, forgive your husbands. Uh, uh, forgive your relatives. Forgive your kin folks. Forgive your friends and ask God to forgive you because you promised God you're going to do this. You promised God, you, Lord, I'm going on. Uh, how many times have you seen this? Uh, missionary comes through. I am going to Africa. People standing up. I'm going to Africa. I'm going to South America. No, you're just excited because we had a missionary from Argentina or we had a missionary from Uganda. You didn't mean it when you said it. Does that mean we should never promise to go? No. If God moves on your heart and you say yes to God, God will underwrite it. God will move heaven and earth. God will send financial miracles for you. God will open doors for you. God, you'll see the supernatural power of God. When you, as a matter of fact, you're, look, everybody look this way. Your vows cause you to rise higher. Your vows cause you to rise to God, to come up out of this earth because there are things sometimes that no way man can do it. Uh, but if God himself said, I want you, and you say yes, God will be behind it all the way, and God will give you the strength to do it. But don't make rash vows. <sighs> Somebody get me a couple of tissues. I'd appreciate it. And I'm going to tell you all why we're here on this. We know that Jephthah made a false vow or he made a rash vow. He said, I'm going to, he was a judge over Israel. He said, thank you, son. He said, uh, Lord, if you'll give me the victory over my enemy, I'll sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my door. It was his darling daughter. Daddy, daddy, do you bring me anything? He's like, and all his men are looking at him because he had vowed that vow. He kept his vow and sacrificed his daughter. It was a horrible thing. 
He was a man of his word. And you know something? She was so submitted to his father. You're just teaching about that. She was so submitted to her father and so under authority. And the, they gave her a year to go be with her friends and spend a little time with them. And then she was sacrificed. Some say the sacrifice was her life. Some say the sacrifice was that she just never married a man because she was a virgin. We don't really know what actually happened, but she submitted to that. But Jephthah said something he shouldn't have said in rashness. Is this balanced teaching? Are you getting a balanced word? But I'm fixed to give you the breakthrough part of it. I mean, what, what do you preach to a church that has known the power and the authority of God and the miracles like you had? What do you preach to a church that you're crying out for revival and you're crying out for the next level in God and you're crying out for God, what's next? God, we've done this, we've done this, we've been praying, we've been seeking your faith, we've been fasting, we've, we've, been, we've been helping the homeless, we've been helping people who wander in this church. God, we're trying to do the works of Christ. What's the next thing? By your vows and your promises to God, when Holy Spirit moves on you and he calls you to do something and you say yes to God and you take it to heart and you know it's God and God's proven it more than one way and you say, God, I'll do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but my dreams are bigger and my vision is bigger than my past. Ecclesiastes 5.4, just to finish out this part of it, then I'm fixing to explain to you why I've got long hair this year, he said, hopefully. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 5.4 says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you've made him. Now, go to the book of Numbers, chapter 6. We're about to release some supernatural anointing in this place. From God, not from Paul Bradford, from God. So when God spoke to me, started dealing with me about this over a year ago, I didn't really actively begin pursuing it till this past summer. We talked about the Rechabite vow. I think everybody here, the most famous vow that we know about in Scripture is the Nazarite vow. If you don't know what the Nazarite vow is, I'm about to read it to you. God spoke to me and told me, I want you to grow your hair out. We hadn't started the new young adult ministry yet. And I said, you know how when you hear God say something unusual, you go, okay, that was probably the devil, right? You know, that was like, had too many mushrooms on my pizza, something. You ever had those dreams, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of on the fence whether it was God or not? Or you, you hear, you've heard God say something, you're going, no, that couldn't be right. You know, really? So God says, I want you to grow your hair out. Now, I haven't had long hair since I was in my 20s. We just kind of just told you, I'm, I'm 59, about to turn 60, okay? And God tells me to grow my hair out. Look, when my hair was long, it was in the 70s, and I was trying to look like Vinnie Barbarino of the Sweat Hogs. I'm just being real with you. Now, if you're too young to know who that is, then it's okay. Don't, you don't even have to research that, all right? That was John Travolta when he was young. He had long hair. So, you know, so I, I, was, I don't know if I was trying to be, you know, El 70s Elvis or, John, you know, whatever. But it was the disco era, all right? So just forgive me. And by the way, disco is dead. I have it on good authority. We don't want to resurrect it. So 
But, I mean, back during that time, I was still wearing bell bottoms. I had the long collars, you know, and the poofy sleeves or whatever. So, yeah, okay, it was a thing. But, I mean, the last couple of decades, it's just been like put a little gel on it, you know, come out of the shower, it's done. No blow drying, nothing. I love that. God says, grow your hair out. Oh, my God, the money I spend on hair products now. Ladies, how do you stand in front of the mirror? Teasing it. My hair, when I tease my hair, it goes, you know, and it fights back. Can't get the brush out. I was at least hoping for, I don't know, Braveheart, Wolverine. It came out a Ronald McDonald football helmet. But, you know, it's like it's like an hour just on... You know, you oh God, get the blood back in my hands. Craziness. Grow your hair out. Really? Why? I, I'm not going to tell you that now. Just grow your hair out. Little did I know he was going to tell me to raise up a Nazarite generation. Not about the hair. You'll see why. Naz, uh, Numbers 6, verse 1. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when a man or a woman, since this was, this was both, makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate himself to the Lord. By the way, if you don't know uh, some of the famous people who were Nazarites, I, I, everybody knows about Samson. Uh, Samson started well, and then he messed up. Okay, He ended well, but tragically, uh, another famous Nazarite was Samuel, somebody to really emulate. Somebody else was John the Baptist. Some people said Jesus was, but he was actually from Nazareth. Uh, he could have been, and he could not have been. But he was from Nazareth, where a lot of Nazarite-type uh, people uh, dwelt. But those are some famous Nazarites. The three that I named, Samson, Samuel, and John the Baptist, were what was called lifelong Nazarites. Usually, the Nazarite vow was just for a season. You'd grow your hair out for just a season. It's kind of like having going on a Daniel fast, which, by the way, how many of y'all have been on the Daniel fast? Okay. I absolutely hate that fast. I'm not sure that fast is of God or not. We, we, we looked at what Daniel did. Oh, come on. I'm a carnivore, all right? But if God tells you to do it, do it. You know, go, go on the Daniel fast. I, I like the steak fast myself, personally. Which is just meat. Just eat meat. Oh, Jesus, y'all wonder about me. Okay. So he shall abstain from wine and strong drink, verse 3. He shall drink no vinegar, neither uh, whether made from wine or strong drink, neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes all the days of his separation. Remember, this is separation and consecration. He shall not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from the seeds, even to the skin, all the days of his vow of separation. I remember this could be for a matter of, of months. It could be for a year. But he said, for during this period of time, no razor shall pass over his head. 
He shall be holy until the days are her head. He shall be holy until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall let the locks of his hair on his head grow long. All the days of his separation to the Lord, he shall not go near to a dead person. He shall not make himself unclean for his father, his mother, his brother, or his sister when they die because his separation to God uh, is on his head. And all the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. So let me recap a little bit. This is about separation. It's about consecration. It's about a special blessing. It's about act of worship and service. Uh, the word separate here is the Hebrew word pela, to distinguish, to set apart. The Hebrew word nazar here, nazarite, separate, dedicate, consecrate. Basically, it was about this. Totally dedicated and consecrated and separated unto God, even to the place of sacrifice, personal sacrifice. Did God have a problem with you going to your folks' funeral if they passed away? No. What did it represent? Was it, was it bad to go to somebody's funeral that passed away in your life? No. The death of that person in this particular instance represented the corruption of death. Stay with me here. I know it sounds tough for us to listen to this, but if during that vow that he'd set themselves apart to the Lord, they could not go to a funeral. They could not drink of anything that was pleasant to them, anything that would make them drunk, anything that would please the flesh. They could not partake of that. They grew their hair out. What did the hair represent? Are y'all still with me? Have I lost you? Look, for those of you that hang in here for this, you're going to receive something from God. Whenever they would grow their hair out, it represented the glory of God. They would cut their hair. Maybe you don't know this, but the Apostle Paul actually took a Nazarite vow. And it talks about him shaving his head. He wasn't really a, a hairy guy up here. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, he was bald later on in life. But he grew his hair out at some point. And when he cut his hair, when they would shave their head, hair off, they would burn it before God as a sacrifice to the Lord. And that represented taking your crown off and throwing it at the Lord's feet. So everything about this, for men and for women, and these were people who were not born into the priesthood. They weren't born as Levites. They came into the priesthood by their vow. So you could come from a totally corrupt background. You could come from a family that was known as criminals, outlaws, terrorists, or thugs, and come to God. Hallelujah. The prophet Jim Gall writes about this. He, he was doing Hebrew uh, research in history, he said, the Hebrews talk about this, and the rabbinical teaching was this. The word lead that was found in the book of Judges when Deborah is singing the song of Deborah when they overcame. And she says, and the leaders led in Israel. That word led, the root word is to let down the locks. Can I tell you why? The Nazarites led people into battle. They would put the Nazarites in the forefront with a shofar in their hand. And what they would do is, it meant to let down the locks because they would, their hair would be bound up. They would take off of the bind off of their hair, shake the locks down from their head, grab that shofar and blow it and run down the hill into battle and scream, Rock Kazak, which was the Hebrew battle cry. And people would see that because they didn't have loudspeakers. They didn't have headphones. They didn't have technology. They would see those people going down. And they, had not, they weren't born into this. They weren't born into this. They stepped into it by their vow. When they saw those people running downhill into battle, all of Israel would be inspired, and they would run down the hill. Now look at this. God told me to raise up a Nazarite generation. 
It's not about hair. This is a symbol. I don't know how long God's going to be. Look, if this keeps growing out and it keeps getting grayer, I'm going to look just like Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments here in just a little while. And I'm going to need a staff just to hold up my head. So I'm praying he lets me off the hook. But we're launching this ministry right now. And God said, I want you to be a living symbol of this teaching of a separate life unto God, and a consecrated life unto God, laying aside the things of this world and choosing God first over stuff. Almost everything I own I could put in my pickup truck right now. We had a house full of furniture. When Cindy passed away, I gave it all away to ministries. Look at me. Everything I have is tied up in God. My whole life is sown into God. I think God's left me alive on this earth. Because whenever she passed away, I laid on the floor beside her. She had that second stroke. I laid on the floor beside her. I tried to resuscitate her, and I couldn't. I'm just being real with you here. I laid on the floor, and I asked God to take me. He said, no, I'm not going to take you. Get up off the floor. I want you to wipe your eyes. He told me, just like Ezekiel, get back up and start prophesying. I know your wife is gone. The Bible says Ezekiel's wife was the joy of his life. He loved her. She knew she was going to go. She said, I'm going to have to leave you. And he knew she was going to go. He didn't want God to take her, but she went. But whenever I got up off of that floor, I, I knew what I was supposed to do. You know why I'm losing weight? I'm not trying to lose weight to look pretty. That ship sailed a long time ago. You know why I'm losing weight? I, and I love to eat. I'm losing weight so that I can be healthy enough to do what God's called me to do. I'm growing my hair out, even though it's uncomfortable, because God said, do that right now just as a symbol. If he, when he tells me to cut it off, I'm going to be so joyful. <laughs> and I may just burn it. I don't know. I might. It's not about that stuff. It's not about stuff. It's not about things. We don't worship objects. We don't even worship the act of consecration. We worship the living God. My question to you earlier was, will you? Will you? I'm a marked man. The Nazarite life was dedicated to the Lord actively set apart from the culture of the day. They stood out. They had identifying marks because of a voluntary agreement that they made to God. Go to Romans chapter 12. I'm about to close. Would you come back to the guitar? Just get ready. That's all I need is just you. Everybody knows this passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, I don't even have to look at it. I can quote it in the King James, but Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word consecrate literally meant, originally, the original meaning was association with the divine. Now we see it defined as dedicated to sacred purpose. A vow is not an outdated thing. God still wants you to make a promise to him. This is where God wants me to go with this. 
in just a moment, we're going to pray two prayers. One of them is we're, we're going to ask God to forgive us for the promises that we've broken. Can I tell you what happened just as recently? Now, understand, I haven't started preaching this. I started preaching this about mid-January. It's not the only word God's had me preaching, but God had me start preaching this about mid-January here and there. This is about the fourth time I've, I've spoken. I was in Baton Rouge at House Church. That place was packed out. It's one of the churches that lost everything in the flood last year. They had a nice building. And I, I was the last person to preach in that building before the flood hit. And what I preached, they said, was a revelation because that, that night and we had a multi-church event. So a lot of churches were represented. A lot of pastors were there. And God spoke a warning to Baton Rouge. And little did we know that four days later that flood was going to hit. Many of the churches lost everything. Many people lost everything. Many of the churches, 99% of the people in their church lost their homes, lost their jobs because the business was shut down. Now, I was back in that church after all this time, and oh, the power of God was rich there. They were meeting in a home, but that home was packed out. It was just like when Jesus would go to a house. You could not shoehorn another person in there. I had to stand in the entrance between the kitchen and the living room, and people stretched out in the hall and all over. And I got up to speak, and just before I walked in there, a guy met me in the kitchen coming through, and he had a sling on his arm, and I'd seen him many times before at that church. I said, brother, what happened to you? He goes, well, sir, I, I want you to pray for me later. He goes, uh, since church is about to start, I'll let you pray for me later. And somebody was escorting him in, in. He just had surgery that week. He had a huge tumor cut out right over his heart. The tumor, the mass was so big, it had interdicted the muscles and the nerves in his arm, and his hand was paralyzed. He could not move his fingers. He couldn't move his hand. He was totally immobilized in this sling. He was in a lot of pain. He said, look, and he pulled back his shirt, and there's this huge gauze bandage that covered this whole area of his shoulder and his upper chest, and I could see the pain on his face. He's wincing. One of the board members took him back and set him back in the corner and sat right where he could watch him. Nobody could bump into him because he was in so much pain. I, it was courageous that he even came. When I came to this part about asking God to forgive you for the vows you've broken, he was weeping openly. When we prayed the prayer of repentance and brokenness, because everybody here, I don't care how long you've been serving God, everybody here has failed God. Everybody here has failed God in some area or broke a promise or a vow you made to God. He began to pray that prayer, and all of a sudden I saw the board member going like this. And, he's, and this guy was at the very back, and I couldn't, I couldn't see him. He's tucked in behind people. And next thing I know, his eyes are going like this, and he's looking. And this board member's pointing. He's trying to say something, and they get the pastor's attention. And he's turning around. He's going like this. And all of a sudden, this guy just bursts out. I can move my arm. And his fingers are going like this, and his hand's going like this. When he prayed that prayer... Nobody touched him. Nobody laid hands on him. I want you to understand condemnation and shame and the guilt and the stain of our failures have caused the devil to be able to have an avenue and a way to attack you and tell you you can't have your healing. You can't have deliverance. You can never be free. You can never do anything for God. The devil is a liar. That man prayed that sincere prayer and was instantly healed. So in a moment, we're going to pray that prayer. Today's Nazarite generation is a generation set apart. It is not about an age group. A generation actually represents 
a span of life where everybody's living in that period of time. So that could be anybody from 5 to 50, younger or older. But let me give you this. Then we're going to pray. I hope you've heard the word of God. You say, this doesn't sound like a revival message. Oh, yes, it is. We're removing the stumbling block from your life this morning. We're removing the hindrance. We're removing the stain and the shame. There was a man named Henry Varley, and you've never heard that name, most of you. I'm sure very few of you, if any, have heard that name. He lived centuries ago, but he said this, and somebody caught up this quote of this Henry Varley, who was just a butcher. He was not a spiritual leader. He was not a preacher. He said this, and you've heard this phrase, but you didn't know where it was from. The world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Just a butcher, just blue-collar guy. But D.L. Moody, the famous old preacher, heard that phrase. It came across the waters, and up in Chicago, D.L. Moody, if you don't know who he was, a great Baptist preacher, one of the great preachers of, the, of our day. He was in the latter part of, of, of the last great awakening. D.L. Moody, who, by the way, had such thick glasses, he had to bend down like this and read the Scriptures. He, he only spoke in a whisper, but whatever he preached, the convicting power of the Holy Spirit be so strong, thousands and thousands got saved. D.L. Moody was so moved by what this butcher said. And you can put man or woman here. The world is yet to see what God will do with somebody who's fully consecrated to him. So D.L. Moody wrote this. He was musing, and he put this down in one of his sermons, and it was published. Lord, make us those who meet your need today, the Nazarites. Gain hundreds and thousands of willingly consecrated ones. Lord, even in the day of your warfare, may you be satisfied and watered as you drink from the river of the young one's consecration all over the earth today. We are here for you, dear Lord. We live for you and for your purpose. We give ourselves to you for your ultimate move on the earth. You see, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. You've been set apart for sacred purpose. You've been called to something higher. Remember this, your vows cause you to rise higher, cause you to rise to God. It's the things that separate us. It's the ones that really stand up for God, who won't be silent in their school, who won't be silent on the job, who won't be silent in the political field, who will really represent God in every area in the marketplace. We hope you enjoyed this message from Freedom Ministries. For more information and to stay connected with us, find us on Facebook or the web at freedomministriescrossit.com.